great time for us to relearn how God has been faithful to us as a church. And one way that we do that is by climbing inside the skin of people who lived over 2,000 years ago so that we might learn to yearn for God's presence and for God's deliverance in Jesus. I think the first week of Advent is always a little bit funny because the scripture readings are pretty intense. Uh, There's no swaddling baby. There's no shepherds. um, There's really not even a hint of Christmas um, in the first uh, weeks of Advent. And it's all because, once again, we're in that state of learning uh, to yearn for Christ. Here at Wheatland, we practice, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but we practice what can be called Christian year spirituality. And Christian year spirituality means that part of our discipleship, part of the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is calendrical. We use the calendar uh, to guide us as we follow Christ throughout the, throughout the church year. So you hear this over and over again. You've heard us talk about it. And, you, and, and by the way, we're not ever going to stop talking about it. Um, but Advent is the very beginning of this process. It's the process of learning to desire the Messiah, to learn to want the right things. And in some traditions, the Advent season is a penitential season or even a time where they fast. Uh, We're not advocating a fast right now, Um, but the season of Advent is an opportunity for us perhaps to step back and be more reflective. And this is probably a good year to do it. What's happening in the world around us might actually be helpful to us as we learn uh, to yearn for the Messiah. Um, A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, Ecclesia, which is the network, church network that Wheatland is a part of, hosted a small gathering online of uh, pastors and church leaders uh, throughout the network with a uh, virologist, uh, a person who works for for one of the drug companies. Um, and, And this person just spent some time with us. This person was also a Christian. Uh, and a member of one of the Ecclesia churches, and he spent time discussing the pandemic with us and going over just some of the things that everybody needs to understand. And there wasn't a ton of new information. There was there was some uh, there was some good information. Um, but one of the things that I appreciated most about the time was here is a guy whose daily work is spent in you know one of these big drug companies uh, that. Uh, Uh, that we like to malign, that's so easy to malign, I suppose. And his entire work, day in and day out, is viruses. That's what he does. Um, And at the end of our discussion, asking questions uh, and all that kind of thing, at the end of it, he said, had this great little phrase, and and it'll come up later in the slides. We don't need to show it on the slides right now. But the great little phrase was, don't waste a perfectly good pandemic focusing on yourselves. Now, he's speaking to Christian people. I don't think he would want anybody to hear him say that to the public at large. But he's speaking to Christian people who are naturally people of hope. And his words I, really sank deep into me, and I hope they will sink deep into all of us during this season. 
let's not waste this time focusing only on what we've lost, what we don't get to do, or what we're struggling with. But let's allow this time to be an opportunity for God to grow us. And that's where we're going to what we're going to explore today. Let me begin, uh, or let me continue with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that we wouldn't waste this pandemic, that we wouldn't waste this day, that we would not waste this Advent season. I pray, Lord, that you would make us more like your Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would draw us together even though we are socially distant, and that you would make us a community that hopes that recognizes that your future is on the horizon and that we need not be people who fear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our, our uh, series title for the next four weeks uh, is Christmas Vocations, uh, Prophet, Priest, Shepherd, and King. Those are four vocations that Jesus fulfilled. Go ahead and put the next slide up. Hopefully, this will help you remember the series that's coming up this week. And how nice it would be if, uh, if we had a large crowd here who could like collectively groan. Uh, and and I'm, I'm just having to imagine all of you do that, um, doing that at home. Um, so, no, we're going to be talking about these vocations of Jesus. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the vocation of Jesus as prophet. And Nathan, I do need you to take that slide off uh, the screen so I don't look at uh, Chevy Chase for the rest of the evening. He's just, there you go, that's much better. So, um, but tonight we're exploring his, Jesus' vocation as prophet. Now, in the year 722 BC, uh, the kingdom of Israel and its capital city, Samaria, were wiped out by the Assyrian Empire. No empire had ever matched the size and strength and ruthlessness of the Assyrians. The northern tribes of Israel who had separated themselves from the southern tribes of Judah were deported and scattered all throughout the vast Assyrian territories. We hear very little from these tribes after this happens. Most of them were assimilated into their new lands and those tribal identities were wiped out. We hear very little about them later on. A little over 100 years later, in the year 586, the southern kingdom of Judah, which was comprised of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, along with some of the Levites, were overwhelmed by the Babylonians, which was a new empire who had defeated the Assyrians from within. Along with the Edomites and some other long-standing enemies of Judah, they destroyed Jerusalem, they tore down the temple, which was dedicated to Yahweh, and they marched all of the leading people of Israel, or of, of Judah and Jerusalem, they marched them all to Babylon. Once there, they settled in communities between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And some 50 years later, another empire, the Persian Empire, took over, and it was probably in a fascinating money for nukes deal. That was a joke. Anybody? I thought it was a really good one. I just want to point it out because I, I won't hear anybody laugh. But so the Persian Empire took over. Um, anyway, I'm, okay. The Persian Empire took over, and the Judeans were allowed to return home. And the Persians helped fundraise 
for the rebuilding of the temple and the city. Now, let me just drive this home. Israel, the northern kingdom, is deported and scattered. Judah, the southern kingdom, is exiled, but they remain gathered together. One is largely lost to history, but the other one survived. And none of this was a surprise to God. He even took the blame for Judah's exile or claimed responsibility for it. Now, throughout the course of the COVID pandemic, I've used the term exile from time to time to describe our experience. We're not exiled from our homes so much as we are exiled to them. And we've had to alter our behavior uh, to one degree or another. I mean, for example, nobody sitting close to one another who doesn't live together. Uh, the people in the room are wearing masks. Uh, it's just really different. I think exile is a good metaphor to describe our experience. Not because our experience is as hard as it was for the Judeans, because it's not. But because exile was a time of change. And at its best, exile can be a time of growth. Exile, I think, is a time for us to become leaner and meaner. And meaner in the best sense. When the Hebrew slaves escaped Egypt and went into the desert, they were nothing. They were just this ragtag group of uh, vaguely related people who were oppressed and who were occasionally faithful to God. But when they went into the wilderness, they suffered, and in their suffering, they experienced God. And after a long journey in the desert, which was in itself a kind of exile, they were no longer a ragtag group, but an actual nation. Israel became a people group at that time. Uh, they had a national identity, a people of worshipful faith, and that was born out of their suffering in the desert. So exodus and exile describe how God's people were chastened for their own good. And by the way, this is echoed in Scripture over and over again. Now, you'll also notice that 40 or something close to it shows up in Scripture a lot. Noah's ark endures the rains for 40 days and 40 nights. The Hebrews, like I just mentioned, are in the desert for 40 years before they enter the promised land. Elijah, bless his heart, runs into the desert uh, going over 100 miles running, for, and then he's out there for 40 days. Um, Judah is in exile for really 50 years and more, but we'll count it as 40. They were in exile for at least 40. Um, I'm just going to make it work. Um, and Jesus, of course, we know, goes into the desert for 40 days in the Gospels when he's tempted. So as a result, during our um, uh, uh, Christian year spirituality experience, one thing that we do is we go into the desert during the Lenten season for 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And likewise, during Advent, we go into like a uh, mini desert um, maybe uh, a little bit of wilderness, not quite as tough, not really fasting as much, but it's similar to that experience. And we do this in order to prepare ourselves to celebrate the coming of the Messiah on Christmas. One of the great things about the Lenten season is it prepares us for Easter. Easter is not just some date on the calendar that we're surprised by as if it were, you know, Flag Day or something like that. And hopefully we're not surprised by Flag Day either, but something, Arbor Day, there we go. Um, I didn't mean to, I hope Tom doesn't take offense at that. But, uh, but the, you get the idea. Easter is something worth us paying attention to, and likewise Christmas is too. 
And it's not because of the stuff we get. It's because of the event that occurs that we commemorate on Christmas Day. So Jesus' time in the desert is an echo, echo of Noah in the ark. It's an echo of Hebrews in the wilderness, of Elijah in the desert, and Judah's time in exile. And it reminds us of this. We have to sometimes blind ourselves in order to gain perspective. We have to fast in order to learn to hunger for the right things. We have to reduce our options in life. This is a huge one, I think, but we have to reduce our options in life in order to learn to choose wisely. And I think we have to go into the silence in order to hear the voice of God. So I want to challenge us not to waste an exile. Whether it's COVID or Lent or Advent or some other kind of exile that many of us experience and most of us never notice. So like my friend with Ecclesia said, don't waste a perfectly good pandemic just focusing on yourselves. Now, interestingly, uh, N.T. Wright and others make the point that the experience of exile never really ended for the uh, people of Israel, for the Judeans, all the way up into the time of Christ, that they still had a mindset of exile. Although they were in their home territory, that territory was now occupied by the Romans. And before them, it was occupied by the Greeks, and before them, the Persians. But exile was a metaphor for the first century Jews that helped them, and it helped them understand what was happening to them. It hung over their heads, haunting them. Their disobedience and their unfaithfulness were understood as a kind of exile that was continuing. Because even though they were in their own territory, they weren't free in their own territory. Um, they would go to their synagogues, they would go to the temple even, and they would see symbols of Roman authority and power. And it reminded them they weren't really at home, even though they were in their homes. Now, where the people of Jesus' day knew that exile was a constant companion, we have to manufacture it in order to participate in it to participate in it in the church calendar. We have to imagine it every Advent season, but like I said earlier, I think this season it may be a little bit easier than others. Now, this season of Advent, we're talking about the various vocations of Jesus. And the word vocation, by the way, comes from the Latin word for calling, something, a calling that is placed upon us that we respond to. So Jesus calling his work can be seen in these different vocations of prophet, priest, shepherd, and king. Next week, Nathan is going to talk about the vocation of prophet. And after that, Karen Bartlett is going to talk about the vocation of shepherd. And then we'll end with talking about Christ with the vocation of king, and we, which we just discussed last week as well. And tonight, again, we're going to think about the role of Jesus as prophet. And exile, or at least the threat of exile, goes hand in hand with the prophets. Now, when I hear the word prophet, and you may be this way too, I often think of a crazy, wild-eyed, long-haired, oldish person uh, who is able to tell the future. But the Bible doesn't really support that, uh, that imagining of a prophet. Prophets aren't necessarily aged, and we have no idea if their hair was long or not, and the Bible says nothing about what their eyes were like. But they did often come across as crazy. Not in the quaint, he talks to animals and lampposts kind of crazy, 
but more like the person who says whatever they want as loud as they want and the least politically appropriate way possible. And they're the kind of crazy person who is really willing to suffer for what they say. And that's what the prophets were. Bottom line, a prophet both then and now proclaims what God wants his people to hear. And this may involve promise, which is why we think of prophets telling the future. Or it may simply be a statement of what is right and true. We know that the, in, in the Bible, the prophets always were concerned about justice. Modern day activists today are often called prophetic. I think it's good for us to consider the prophets of scripture as theological activists because they were active on Yahweh's behalf. Jesus is a prophet in every sense of the word. So when we look in Mark 13, we see that Jesus is warning the people of Jerusalem in the same way that Isaiah warned Israel and Jeremiah warned Judah. Jesus is declaring that something really, really bad is going to happen, and he refers to it as the abomination of desolation, which is code language, and they would have understood this, but it's code language for the temple in Jerusalem is going to be desecrated again, and Jerusalem is going to be wiped off the map again, which had happened in 586 B.C. If you know your history, you know that this actually does happen about 40 years after this time that Jesus is talking. There's that number 40 that comes up again. In the year 70 A.D., um, Jerusalem, the temple, are wiped, wiped out by the Romans. And in a fun little insert in our reading tonight, Mark adds this great little parenthetical phrase, let the reader understand. Um, and Mark does this. The Gospel of Mark, if, you, if you've not read it closely, I really urge you to do it. It'll take you an hour. Um, but, but read through it, and you're going to find Mark encouraging the reader to pick things up that aren't immediately obvious. But as you look at the whole picture, you're like, wow, this is, it's, a, it's an amazing piece of work, the whole, the whole book. So he throws in there, hey, reader, understand what I'm, what I'm saying. And then in verses 24 and 25, Jesus summarizes uh, and paraphrases the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, by describing the coming of the Son of Man. And using that Son of Man language, Jesus is also echoing the prophet Daniel. Then in verse 32, we hear some language that might sound familiar to us if uh, you watched A Thief in the Night back in the 70s or, or the 80s, or if you, uh, you watched the Omega Code or the Left Behind series. Um, and, uh, and if you did, please feel free to wipe your memories of those experiences. Um, just read what the Bible says. Um, but it's a warning of the returning of Christ. And this is, and I've got this on the slide here, starting in verse 34. It says, but about the day or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to keep on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn, 
or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Now, like all of chapter 13, there is lots of imagery and figurative language. Here he is talking about doorkeepers and listening for the cock to crow. Bottom line, I I think there are going to be some really good, faithful Christian people who are fast asleep when Jesus arrives. And I think that's great. I don't think you need to worry about falling asleep and resting before he gets back. He will gladly wake you up. And I think he'll do it in a much nicer fashion than your roommates probably will. That little phrase, keep awake, is a warning to all of us to keep aware, to pay attention. It's Jesus' way of saying, don't numb yourself out as you travel through this life. And man, there's all kinds of ways for us to do that. There's all kinds of ways for us to care about things that don't matter rather than to care about the things that do. Keep aware, pay attention, don't numb yourself out as you travel through life. As you move through financial ups and downs, as you get exactly what you want out of life, and as you get exactly what you didn't want out of life. As you suffer for your faith or as you struggle with what little faith that you have. Do this one thing. Pay attention. Pay attention. Stay awake. This is not because Jesus wants to punish you if you're not paying attention. He's not trying to catch you distracted. It is because you will miss out on participating in the good work that Jesus has prepared for us in the meantime. Keep awake so you can be involved in doing what God would have you do. This isn't, it sounds punitive, and there is a sense in which it is a punishment if we don't pay attention, but it's a punishment we heap upon ourselves. We miss out on participating in that good work that God created us beforehand, the good works he prepared for us beforehand to do. That comes from Ephesians. So the work of the prophet, both then and now, and especially as it is described in the life of Jesus, is to call God's people to attention to God's work in the world. They don't just advertise what God is doing. They call God's people to get involved in what God is doing. And God is involved in this world right now. And I know we sometimes don't feel it. But here's a little thought. Um, I, and I've, we've shared this before. Eddie, Eddie and Laura Hall have informed me that some of you have been frequenting the Blessing Box down at Hilltop. Um, and uh, that is frequenting it by putting stuff in it, not taking stuff out. Um, and, uh, and, and, there's, uh, and I'm very proud of that, very pleased. But I don't think you do it just because you feel guilty. I, I doubt that you do it because you're afraid Jesus is going to zap you if you don't. 
Because you would have been looking for some blessing box to stuff a long time ago. I think you see a little thing like that as an opportunity to be involved in God's work. God is doing something in the world through canned goods. He's used less. <laughs> and he's used worse. So the the part of the prophet is to call attention to God's people to be involved in God's work in the world. And this is what Jesus is doing all throughout his ministry. His first words, as, as it says in Matthew, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Every one of his sermons, everything that he teaches, is an invitation to participate. And here is a critical thing for us to understand, participation and what God is doing in the world is an amazing gift. And I think all of us have experienced it here and there, maybe, maybe not for a while, maybe we haven't noticed it. But participation is this beautiful gift that God has blessed us with. So going back to what my friend from Ecclesia said, don't waste a perfectly good pandemic focusing on yourselves. And I think Jesus would say, and in fact did say in different ways to the Israelites or the, uh, the Jews that he spoke to in the Gospels, I think Jesus would say something to the effect of, don't waste a perfectly good exile focusing on what you've lost or how you've been denied, but on how God is building you up from the inside out. Don't waste this exile, this advent, this pandemic, focusing only on what you've lost or on what you're afraid you're going to lose. But focus instead on how God is building you up or even maybe the word is rebuilding, building us up from the inside out. I want to just finish before I pray with the words from verses 35 and 37 again. And what is written as a warning, and it is a warning, I want us also to hear as an invitation. An invitation to be involved in what God is doing. Jesus said, therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn. Or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would empower us for the future, and that you would strengthen us for the present. I pray that we would pay attention, and that we would pay attention to the right things, that we would pay attention to these opportunities to participate in your world, to participate in your work. And Lord, with all of your saints around the world today and those who are long gone, 
together we cry out, come Lord Jesus. We are so ready for you to wrap this up and to set everything right. Yet in the meantime, teach us, Lord, to pay attention, to hear your voice, and in our exiles, listen. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, now we have the opportunity to pray the prayer of confession.